Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. A semblance of normality was supposed to return to politics post-pandemic. However, with the doll resuming next week, the government is engulfed with numerous problems. The controversy around the appointment of Foreign Minister Catherine Zappone as a UN Special Envoy just rumbles on. As I made it very clear that the concept needed to be developed by the department. Looking back now, I should have been clearer with Catherine. Two text messages on March 4th. And then on May the 4th, she had a start date for a job that wasn't designed and that hadn't been offered to her. It barely seems believable. And after 18 months focusing entirely on COVID, the concentration is supposed to shift to housing. And right now, we are in a housing crisis. There are not enough homes being built and a generation of people are demoralised and close to despair on the issue. There is scarcely a family in the country untouched by the crisis. I'm Fiona Sheehan and you're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. Today I'll be talking to Irish independent political reporter Gabby Agatic of the about the fiascos, flare-ups and faragos facing the coalition. So former Minister Catherine Zappone was looking for career advice from the Minister of Foreign Affairs Simon Coveney and it just so happened that at the same time a suitable position emerged from the Department of Foreign Affairs. Gabby, quiet old week, quiet old month, you'd have to mm. say. You know, the return of the doll and we've got the lifting of restrictions, a major housing policy document and Catherine Zappone, a foreign minister, is the name on, on everybody's lips. Where are we at now after Simon Coveney's second appearance at an Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee meeting? Yeah, political embarrassment, political fiasco, controversy, to use Simon Coveney's own words to describe Zaponge, which has rumbled on now for seven weeks. Um, I think the government, you know, we've obviously saw on Monday publication of, you know, over 100 documents under FOI released by the Department of Foreign Affairs. A lot of detail in them, I suppose, most remarkably, we've seen senior uh, cabinet minister, for, uh, Finance Minister Pascal Dunne, who now dragged into this mess. Um, so he he is the starting point of, of, of all of this. Yeah, he's so, gotten involved. So take us back. So it's basically last Christmas, he's talking to his old pal, Catherine Zappone, mm. about 
careers. Right. Where does it go from there? So Catherine Zappone seemed to have been in a situation where she was looking for an international role of some sort slash career advice, to use Simon Coveney's own words. And she went and she spoke to Pascal Donoghue and he said, look, uh, speak to Simon Coveney. He's the Minister for Foreign Affairs. She went off and did that. And then Pascal Donoghue also uh, mentioned Zappone to Coveney at some stage in the new year. And that was it as far as we understand. But at that point, it it's initially it's kind of a role with the Americans and Samantha Power, who's head of USAID, for Irish, Irish born and, and raised. But then how does it end up that she be, ends up taking on an Irish role? Yeah, so so Catherine Zappone texts Simon Coveney screenshots of, 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 of detailed text messages. She's been very nice to him. Hope your daughters are keeping well. She's looking to get an introduction to Samantha Power. Um, she's looking for some sort of an international role relating to LGBTQ issues. And Simon Coveney telling the Foreign Affairs Committee yesterday that he did not introduce her to Samantha Power. He doesn't know her very, very well and it wouldn't be appropriate anyway. And then somewhere in translation... Um, you know, this this role is magicked up within within the Department of Foreign Affairs of the Special Envoy on Freedom of Expression. The Biden administration is doing something the same. And Coveney maintaining that Zappone did not ask me for a job at any stage. It was sort of my own doing that I suggested her, uh, given her previous experience, um, given her activism. I suggested that she might be a good representation for Ireland for this role. And, you know, the backdrop of all that is Catherine Zappone texting him relentlessly, asking for an update. When is this role? Thank you so much for this incredible opportunity. Under the impression that she she has this job and, and, and she's sort of saying, when do you think the starting role will be? You mentioned the end of June. She's got another role that she's she's kept busy until June, so she may be looking to start then. No replies from Simon Coveney. So you're now saying, Minister, that the when, when Catherine Sapone texts you to say that she was... Um, you know, delighted with the offer, that the offer uh, was a concept that she interpreted as a job offer. Is that correct? That is correct, isn't it? Uh, Mr. Yes, yes. I. I um, That's fine. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. Now Simon Coveney telling the committee, you know what, I actually should have went back and I should have said to her at the time, you haven't received an offer. It's just something that we're thinking about. Would you be interested in it? But this former minister seems to be disillusioned in thinking that, oh, I have this job, um, you know, on the, the special envoy job has been created for him. We're going to start at the end of June. But Simon Covey now saying, well, I should have went back and said to her that you don't actually have an offer. It's just a suggestion that I made to you. So poor, innocent, naive American Catherine Zappone, <laughs> it's lost in translation that Simon Definitely, Covey hasn't yeah. actually offered her a job at all. He just said, I have a look. Listen, we'll look into see what happens. Because that's back at the start of March. End of July, Simon Coveney comes to, to Cabinet with, with this proposal. In the meantime, we're now getting a picture of the, basically the entire Department of Foreign Affairs being dragged into this issue. Yeah, they're all doing research, I suppose. You know, officials within the department going off, pulling together background research, a, a position paper, what are other countries doing in terms of special envoys and freedom of expression, looking at the Biden administration, the Biden administration is doing something similar, doing all their research, trying to crunch the numbers, um, uh, trying to draft up this brief, what could this role look like? Which Catherine's upon herself is involved in as well. With the former Secretary General Al Burgess, yeah. yes, we saw um, e- emails showing that they were kind of corresponding between here and there. I think it was quite remarkable, Sinn Féin, um, Senate 
Senator Lynn Boylan yesterday at the committee saying, okay, when was Catherine Zappone actually offered this role? If it wasn't March 4th, and if by the time I went to Cabinet five months later and blindsiding the Taoiseach, she'd already obviously had the job at that stage. So when was she actually formally offered the job? And the minister wasn't really able to give a specific date. He sort of implied that it was the week before it went to Cabinet because that's when he would have received all the documents from his department for approval. In the meantime, while the department is doing all that research, Ms. Zappone is out and putting pressure on everyone and anyone. She's texting the Tanish to leave Radker. Do you know anything about this role? He says, nope. She's um, getting on to Ambassador Geraldine Byrne-Nason saying, I've spoken to the minister about this role. It's been radio silence since. Do you know anything about it? The ambassador emailing officials in the department saying, what's the update on this issue? I'm sure the minister is, is, is very busy. She's texting Simon Coveney relentlessly. She's not getting a response. You know, she's she's looking for answers. Where What's the story with this job? And, you know, Simon Coveney sort of telling the commission yesterday, well, she wasn't offered the job until right before I went to cabinet. So Simon Coveney's position is is basically that despite Catherine Zabone thinking she had a job in March and him bringing it in July and her being involved in drawing up the position she wasn't really formally offered it on, until the end of July at which point in time he just forgot to tell the Taoiseach mm-hmm. or his, his department uh, about it. Fine Gael then are sticking to this story because ultimately Leo Varadkar and Pascal Dunn who are kind of in, in, involved as, as, as well uh, in this whole affair. So where are Fina Fallat and most notably Taoiseach Michal Martin. So the Taoiseach has, I suppose, repeatedly given a pass to both the Taunishta um, and now Simon Coveney, even after numerous controversies involving the Taunishta, he's, he's sort of given him a pass. Of course, Leo Varadkar is the Taoiseach in waiting, so to speak. Um, certainly from what we're hearing at the moment, uh, from the Taoiseach's own person, he seems to be giving Simon Coveney a pass. I think it was really crucial that Simon Coveney uh, appeared before the second meeting of the committee, that he did apologise, that he d- had a bit of humility. The first thing I want to do is to apologise to all the committee members for creating the circumstances that require a second hearing in a week on the same issue of the appointment of a special envoy due to the sloppiness of some of my answers to your legitimate questions last week. We're back here again in order to, I hope, bring clarity to outstanding issues once and for all. And he said, look, I'm sorry for this political embarrassment that he was honest on that on that scale. And I think it was really important for him to be seen to be doing that. I think the focus for the Taoiseach is now just, OK, it's rumbled on for too long. What can I do, really? It was quite significant because... Um, I believe Claire Byrne asked Stephen Donnelly yesterday, well, can the Taoiseach sack a Fianna Gael minister? And Stephen Donnelly said, well, actually, I, I don't know how it works in a coalition. I'm not sure. So what are actually, you know, the Taoiseach's powers in all this? Yeah, we'll tell that to the late Desomali that a coalition partner can't actually have an influence over <laughs> who uh, remains in cabinet, although the Taoiseach is, is, is actually constitutionally the one who appoints the mm-hmm. ministers in, in the first place. So maybe Mr. Donnelly needs to go back and, and study his, his constitution. Uh, th- do you think it's going to come up and to what extent at, at the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party meeting in, in the Sleeve Russell Hotel in Cavan this weekend? Oh, without a doubt, it's going to be a huge issue. There's a lot of gripes within Fianna Fáil. I mean, a lot of TDs and senators, they have a lot of 
issues with the leadership, with the party itself. First of all, that post-mortem of the disastrous general election still needs to be done. Um, Zappone undoubtedly will will dominate um, the conversation and saying, look, why didn't you have maybe posing the question to Taoiseach, why were you so quick to sack your own two ministers, Derek Leary and Bar- Barry Cowan, last year when they became involved in, in their own respective controversies? But no repercussions here for either the Taunish, uh, who's who's been involved in misstep after misstep, or uh, Simon Coveney. And, you know, I think that that'll definitely dominate the agenda. And of course, you know, TDs and senators have their own gripes with Michal Martin. They might accuse him for a lack of leadership. Um, you're not you know, exerting enough dominance. And I think the focus for the Taoiseach would really be on now the new doll term. Let's look to the future. We have this housing for all plan. We have um, the climate change, you know, action plan as well. We've, we've got these huge, big issues. We've dealt with the pandemic relatively well now let's look to the future and I think that's what he's, that's the challenge for him to um, I suppose convince his deputies of all that I definitely don't think Great Britain is an example to follow um, it's the most open place in Europe and has the highest instance of the virus um, they're much more tolerant of it here there than they are here but, but I'm pretty sure that if we had the numbers of deaths and hospitalisations um, that they're now seeing in England and Scotland there'd be reactions from the Irish people and that would be different to the reaction that we're currently seeing uh, in Britain. Gabby, that was well-known festival gore in the UK, Leo Varadkar. So <laughs> what what was that and who was he talking to? So Tanish the Leo Varadkar was photographed over the weekend attesting a fest- attending a festival in London. Now, festivals as of Monday were allowed to go ahead, but at the time... They were not allowed to go in, ahead in, in, in Ireland. Ireland. Okay, that's so right. He's not breaking any rules, restrictions, or regulations over in no. the UK because festivals are allowed, and yeah. Irish people are allowed to travel from Ireland to the UK to attend cultural events or go on holidays or visits or whatever they want. Absolutely, he but broke no si- laws. But here in Ireland, f- such a festival or f- such a, 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 a cultural event mm-hmm. couldn't have actually happened at the time. No, at the time. And he's talking to who then the previous week about the situation in the UK? So the previous Monday, a couple of days before he gets on his commercial flight to London, he's telling the live events sector, Taoiseach Michal Martin and Arts and Culture Minister Catherine Martin, that, you know, actually the UK should not be used as an example for reopening. He's sounding warnings about high incidences in Scotland and... um, I suppose the meeting there was a an issue raised by the live event sector. Well, you know how how is it right that people are travelling over to the north and Scotland and to and to London and going to gigs and festivals and you know we can't uh, hold them here ourselves. And the Thornish the sound saying, well, look, the UK is not an example to use. And they also opened up interestingly saying that you know I'm kind of torn in between making decisions when it comes to restrictions because. Um, I am a doctor and I'm somebody who appreciates my personal freedoms. And of course, I am a minister also. However, he was photographed several days later attending that festival in London. And I think that kind of left the live event sector scratching their heads saying, well, look, we'd love for the Taunashta to attend a festival in Ireland. But actually, we we can't hold them um, in at, at the moment. Now, of course, as of Monday, restrictions did ease in terms of the numbers of crowds that can attend festivals and so on. But... You know, it really is, I suppose, the key, the crux of the issues is that he's telling the live event sector one thing on the Monday and several days later jetting off to attend this festival. COVID restrictions are are lifting, though, uh, mm. gradually, and we'll, we'll see them continue to lift throughout September and into October to, to what will be something of a new normal. Where do you see COVID fitting into the, the political dynamic then from, from now on? 
Yeah, we're certainly entering a new phase of the pandemic. You know, we're going to see the winding down of Nefes as the month of October progresses. They're going to be meeting, you know, far, far less and, and, you know, completely dissolved, I suppose, as time goes on as well. At, by the end of September, the, the emergency rollout of the vaccine will, will come to a conclusion. We're going to have, we're going to see the, the rollout of the booster vaccine. So COVID is going to remain, I suppose, a backdrop, a factor in, in making of decisions. But by the end of October, we're effectively not going to have any restrictions. So while we're still going to have to be very careful in terms of, you know, the booster shots and, you know, some of the more vulnerable people, it's not going to become the central crux of all decisions that are being made, it's going to really take a serious backseat. Housing for All promises to deliver 300,000 new homes by 2030. 90,000 of these will be social housing, 36,000 affordable, including shared equity, 18,000 cost rental, and just over half will be delivered through the private market. All those people out there who have been scrimping and saving and paying rent, you know, whilst trying to save for a deposit and get a mortgage, they're going to have real options now. Real options for the state will step in and, and bridge that gap. So, Gabby, Taoiseach Michal Martin has actually said that the, the biggest social issue facing the country at the moment is housing. And there is a genuine crisis there. And that's why this Housing for All plan uh, has, has now been launched what are the main points of it? Yeah, really big plan, I suppose, pulled together by Housing Minister Darrell O'Brien. This is his really, his one big cry. We're going to, you know, end or certainly help to solve the housing crisis. So the big figures that are being moved, of course, is that four billion every year being invested into housing to deliver to deliver social, affordable and cost rental um, housing units. Um, the big, I suppose, target is that 300,000 homes delivered by 2030. Now, when you look at that figure of 300,000, the ESRI itself recommends that we should be building at the very least 33,000 homes a year. And the government has admitted we're not going to get that target until maybe about 2024. And then we're going to be playing catch up so that towards 2030, we'll be building about 40,000 houses a year. So I suppose even a target of 300,000 is already you know, the very minimum, I think, that a lot of housing experts would argue that we'd need to have built by 2030. Um, you know, affordability, of course, is, is is really key. That really interesting part about cost rental, That's I think that's a that's a, a part that could really have some serious impact for renters if we seriously deliver a, a very large amount of affordable, good quality homes for rent. Um, it'll mean that it'll make life a lot easier for families that are, you know, struggling to buy, looking to save up and can and can move into cost rental accommodation. Also, um, one of the biggest criticisms of the housing for all plan has been the vacant homes tax that's not currently in it. We did get a vacant site levy that's kind of, it's, it's in place now at the moment, but it's going to be revamped. The vacant homes tax is to come next year because the government is waiting on data from the local property tax to come in. That was, of course, reformed before it all broke up. So they're waiting for data for that and then they're going to put in the vacant homes tax next year. They're telling us that they're going to deliver 90,000 social homes up to 2030. That's 10,000 less than should have been delivered by Rebuilding Ireland uh, and uh, the National Development Plan. We feel it depends far too much uh, on the private developer, on incentivising the private developer, when the state should really be intervening, as it has done in the past, to great effect. 
what sort of reception have they got from the opposition who are demanding all sorts of housing to be built, although you also have politicians objecting to housing around the place. So opposition reaction, good, bad, indifferent? They're saying, I suppose, you know, OK, a lot of ideas here. How are we going to actually deliver these ideas? Um, they're saying that the targets are way too little. We can even hear Owen O'Brien saying it in the clip. So I think the key now for the government, but especially Fianna Fáil, is that as it comes out of the pandemic, is to actually be seen doing something. It's all well to have legislation and plans, but you actually need to have boots on the ground delivering these houses and building homes to get us out of this housing crisis or at least to get us on our way. Uh, Minister O'Brien has admitted that we're going to have to need 27,000 additional builders. That's a lot of people to just magic up out of nowhere and, and you know, I suppose it's his, his cabinet colleague Simon Harris is pushing apprenticeships in construction but we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the Celtic Tiger where a lot of homes were built very, very quickly and now they're all, they have defects and they're effectively crumbling in their own respective ways. We can't be seeing that. We need really good quality accommodation that's being built, that's affordable and that's accessible for people and that's the key challenge for the government. So, in in, in many ways, the the... The housing crisis is at the centre of a demographic storm. We have we've young population. COVID nineteen has very much impacted on on people's perspective of of what their home should be and the, and the facilities and uh, access that that they they need to have to to live their life. And yet we have a skills and jobs shortage in that very sector that that we're now seeking to invest in. Yeah, and that's that's a big problem. Twenty seven thousand workers. That's a lot. There's a huge shortage. Um, so I think you know the, the housing for all plan. Opposition saying, well, there's a lot of ideas there. How are we going to actually deliver some of these things? It's really about now actually setting about that. You know, delivery. How are we going to actually do it? How are we going to get those homes actually built? The plan is there. You know, the key is, of course, for for Housing Minister O'Brien to actually deliver on this plan. He's saying that it's the only plan that I have because it's the only. It's I really do believe in it. It did take him a long time for him to come up with this plan. You know, we're we're about a year and a half into this government now, and it's only now that he's launching this plan. So, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, housing is going to be a, a key a key problem. And I think also some political commentators saying that well, it could be the make or break of Fianna Fáil. I don't think that's very genuine to say because you're not going to solve the housing crisis in a year certainly needs to get us on our way. So we only we only have a year and, what, three months, I suppose, left in Michael Martin's tenure. Yeah. The countdown clock on the wall is already ticking mm-hmm. uh, against him. You can't see massive results been, then being delivered in this, what, what he is describing as the biggest social crisis in the country within that, that time frame. Well, a year is not a very long time. And even that tar- target of 33,000 homes being built a year, we're not going to get at that target until 2024 is the government's own prediction. So, look, I mean, I hope tens of thousands, you know, Dara Bryan would want to be hoping there's a lot of houses that are being built. Of course, the question remains is, is he going to stay in the housing portfolio or will Lee of Radker have a cabinet, complete cabinet reshuffle? Um, and if, you know, Dara Bryan has to lose that portfolio, yes, he'll be able to say, well, I had the affordable housing uh, legislation that, you know, I, I put in place and I had housing for all. But if nothing came out of either of those two things, that's not a very good legacy for Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil have done, in, in fairness to them, leading the government through the pandemic, have done a, a reasonably good job and they will remind voters, judge us on the vaccine rollout, one of the best in Europe by far. And that is a very good legacy. But when we get to the ballot box in 2024, 2025, 
the vaccine rollout will have hopefully been long forgotten and so will the pandemic and restrictions. And the voter is not going to be thinking, do you know what, I'm going to vote for Fianna Fáil because Micheál Martin, that one time when he addressed the nation for the 35th time, he did really well and he was so statements like, I'm going to vote for him. The key issue is, you know, I think Fianna Gael are going to come in, the pandemic is over, restrictions are nearly done they're going to actually be able to put some things in, in into action. I think one of the biggest issues for Fianna Fáil when it comes to housing is that they weren't actually able to get, you know, construction sites. They were closed due to the pandemic. So they have a year to do some, I suppose, do their best to leave a legacy that goes beyond COVID. And that's a real challenge for them. And that was Irish independent political reporter Gabby Agatovikaitska. I'm Fiona Sheen and this week's In Focus was produced by Mary Carroll and sound designed by Gavin Hennessy. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.